Well, uh, good morning. My name is Joel. For those of you who are yet to meet me, I'm one of the pastors here at Wollongong Baptist Church. Uh, if you are new or visiting, we are glad that you are here. I'd love to chat to you over uh, morning tea. As you can see on the screen, we are currently in a series entitled uh, The Unexpected King, as we look at Luke's Gospel, chapters 6 to 9, over about 16 weeks, I think. And if you're wondering, well, that's a long time to look at three chapters. It is. Uh, but as you can see in tonight's, I mean, sorry, today's text, there's a lot of meat for us to chew on and for us to apply to our life. Um, last week or last two weeks, uh, Pastor Rod has kicked off this series. Uh, he began talking about how uh, Jesus reinterpreted the Sabbath and how he healed on the Sabbath, which was a bit controversial, which led to the Pharisees and other religious leaders starting to not like Jesus and become enemies with him. And then last week, uh, Rod talked about uh, the blessings and woe passage from Luke chapter 6 as well. And in that, Jesus warned his people and said, uh, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And so with that context in mind, we come to our passage today, verse 27. And Jesus says, But to you who are listening, that's key, I say, love your enemies. Um, We're going to pray in a second because this is a difficult passage for us to apply, but also because some of us here, if I'm honest with you, won't listen to what I have to say today. Some of us will have hard hearts, and uh, my prayer is that that is not the case. And so how about we pray and pray that God enables us to listen by the power of His Holy Spirit and also to apply uh, Jesus' words today. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, each of us, Lord, um, have mistreated someone, and each of us here have been insulted or hated or um, cursed or um, people have mistreated us as well. Lord, we come across uh, sinners like ourselves, and Father, we need your wisdom to know how do we respond like Christ. And so, Father, uh, today may be difficult for some of us, if not all of us, but Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you may humble us, you may rebuke us where we need to be rebuked, and you may encourage us where we need to be encouraged to be faithful to Jesus' teaching, and to love our enemies like he has loved us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have any enemies? Do you have anyone that's got some animosity towards you, someone that you're on bad terms with, someone that has mistreated you? Is it someone that you're not on good terms with, someone you're not talking to? Maybe it could be crazy Carl at work. He's just always on your nerves, always speaking behind your back, always trying to put you down in front of other people. Maybe it could be mean Megan at school or in university, who once again just constantly puts you down and and talks trash about you behind your back, just does mean things to you, tries to embarrass you in front of other people. Maybe it could be that weird cousin Warren, you know, when you had family gatherings and he buys everyone else presents, but you, he doesn't buy anything at all. And he's always trying to put you down in front of everyone else and how you haven't achieved anything compared to him. Or maybe, maybe it's that crazy neighbor. If you haven't had a crazy neighbor yet, or you just maybe haven't moved around enough, or maybe you are the crazy neighbor. Um, but I wonder if you ever come across that patch of grass that no one tends to mow, and you know, it ends up being basically the Vietnam War as to who should mow that or not, and people go missing. And what if you've had that relationship with a neighbor? On a more serious note, maybe not outside your home, but in your home, do you have any broken relationships? Could be a spouse that's mistreated you, maybe cheated you or abused you. Maybe it could be a brother or sister that you're not speaking with. Or maybe it could be your own children that you just have a distant relationship with because of some events that have occurred. 
Are there people in your life who are your enemies or people that you're not on good terms with? Uh, this week, I try to reflect and think upon uh, who am I not on good terms with or who are my enemies. Uh, I couldn't think of a long list. Uh, if you disagree with me, you want to put up your hand. Uh, not, now's not the time. Uh, we can talk later. Uh, but I was reflecting upon uh, a time where I was really angry at someone a long time ago. But when I was in primary school, I really liked dancing. Uh, I still do, if you don't realize that about me, and so do my kids. But when I was in primary school, I did dance. I even did tap dancing. Uh, and at one stage, I even did, for the Year 6 Talent Quest, uh, a cowboy tap dancing solo. Um, which at the time, I, didn't think, I thought was pretty innocent, and no one would ever insult me over that. Um, Naive as I was, I then got to high school, and for years 7 to 12, I got insulted and, I guess, bullied uh, for a long time. And there's one guy called Brendan, and man, he just had a real gift for knowing how to put me down. And uh, he would insult me and pay me out behind my back, in front of my face, to a group of people, but also in public in the classroom. And I don't know if I've shared this story before, but I remember one time I was doing my maths work with everyone else in maths class, everyone is silent, and then Brendan just went, tapa, 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 tapa. And then the whole entire classroom just laughed. And of course I didn't, and didn't know how to respond. But in that moment, for I'm honest with you, give you a window into my heart, I wanted to get my textbook, and I wanted to go back, and I wanted to smash him, I wanted to beat him up. I don't know about you, but when people treat me badly, I want to treat them badly in return. When people curse me, I want to curse them. When people hurt me, I want to hurt them. And I think you're the same. And yet Jesus says here in this passage, not hurt your enemies, but love your enemies. Not do bad to those who hate you, but do good to those who hate you. Which is quite radical. And I I think in response to Jesus' big idea, big command here, we have two questions. And they're pretty simple. And the questions are this, how? Like how can we do that? But also why? Why? And luckily Jesus answers these questions for us. And so let's dig into the text and let's look at the first question of how do we love our enemies? And we're going to begin in verses 27 to 31. And what we're going to see here in 27 to 31 uh, is in the first two verses, we're going to see three initiatives that we can do to love our enemies. And then in verses 29 to 31, we're going to see four reactions that we can do when our enemies uh, treat us badly. So let's have a look at verses 27 to 28 and see what Jesus says. He says this, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. See, what we see here is three active commands where Jesus is saying, hey, look, if someone treats you badly, I want you to take the initiative and do good. I want you to do good to them. So if you think of, you know, Weird Warren at the party, you know, Christmas time, instead of buying him nothing, buy him a generous gift. Just, just outdo him with, with, with generosity and grace and love. If you think of that mean Megan at university or at school, share her your notes. Help her as much as you can. If you think of that work colleague, crazy Carl, who just treats you really badly, buy him a coffee on Monday morning and don't even tell him why. And just do it consistently. Show love. Do good to those who do bad to you. But not only do good, Jesus says he bless them. Bless them. And so when people say bad things about you and when they curse you in return, you bless them, okay? So let me give you an example. So if, like, if someone came up to me and they said to me, hey, Mark Roberts, he's the other pastor here, by the way, has been talking trash about you. You know, he's been saying that you've got bad choice in clothes as well as you're as weak as a, I don't know, a toddler. 
I could respond and be like, really? Well, what, what, do, you, do you know about Mark, actually, that he wears three different shirts on Sundays when he preaches? You know, I could return with some, you know, ammunition, which I just did, sneakily. <laughs> or what I could do is go, really? I, I, I wouldn't expect that. I didn't know that Mark would say such things. Actually, I, I didn't think that's in his character. Um, you know, I, I haven't heard him say that, so I'm not going to think that. You know, I wonder how often you said some things about someone and uh, later on you regret that. And you think, why did I say that? I, I don't know. I remember reading somewhere that just said, show grace to people. If you hear someone gossiping about you or saying something bad, show them grace and go, you know what? Maybe the Spirit convicted them later on to repent of that and think good of people. Say good things about people. That's what Jesus tells us to do in response. But not only that, he says, pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for them. I don't know about you, but uh, if I have some sort of conflict with someone or someone does something that hurts me, uh, I may be a good Christian and not respond in hatred in that moment, but, but later on, maybe in the cars, I'm driving home or driving somewhere, or later on that night, I'm just plotting revenge in my head and just thinking about, you know, what could I have said that just would have humbled them or what could I have done to hurt them like they hurt me? And Jesus says, no, pray for them. Pray for them. So if someone hurts you, pray for them. Say, God, please change their heart. God, please work through them to be more like you and to love you. You see, what we see here is Jesus says, look, don't be apathetic. Don't try and ignore those who hate you, which we can think is the Christian response. If we just ignore people and have nothing to do with them, that's what Christ wants us to do. No, he wants us to do the opposite. He wants us to step into that messy situation. He wants us to love, to love and show initiative. This week, like I said, I was trying to think about who am I not on good terms with? Who are my enemies? Thankfully, I couldn't think of any enemies, but I could think of one person who I just haven't spoken to for four years. And he was someone uh, who was in my bridal party, someone who's a very good friend of mine. And I remember one, and I don't even know why we weren't talking. But for some reason, we just drifted over a few years. And as a result, we haven't talked. And um, I felt convicted this week. Why haven't I called him? Why haven't I called him up and said, hey, brother, like, why don't we talk? We're good enough friends that I should have called him. But instead, for many years, I just sort of complained about him to my other friends and said, I don't know what his problem is. He doesn't want to talk to me. And so I called him yesterday. And I'm so thankful I did. I had to say sorry for a few things which I was unaware of. And also say sorry for the fact that I haven't called him in four years. Church, sometimes we can think the godly thing to do is just to be passive and ignore people when actually Christ wants us to step into such mess. And to show humility and love. May we do that. That's how. That's firstly, we show initiative. But also, let's see how we are meant to react when people treat us badly. Let's have a look at verses uh, 29, I think, to 31. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Um, when I was a single man, uh, I didn't have many worries, uh, specifically when it came to if I went out at night. So I didn't go out that much anyway. But if I was to go into the city or, or go to a pub or just go out to a place where maybe there's a few drunk people and it gets a bit sketchy and you're a bit unsure as to what's going to go down, uh, in those moments, it wasn't as stressful when I was by myself because I'm not that quick, but at least I can hide and run and jump and, you know, I'll be, I'll be okay. I, I, can find, I can protect myself. 
But when I uh, married my beautiful wife, Emma, all of a sudden I started to stress out when I was in those sort of situations, because if I'm honest, I'm quicker than her. Uh, and so if, if we just ran, someone would grab her. And so whenever we went to different places, you know, I just in my head would have a plan. Like I'd try and avoid certain people or, and, and if push came to shove, if some conflict was to occur, which luckily it hasn't, I had a plan. And let me tell you what my plan was not. What I didn't, what my plan wasn't, it was, wasn't this. I wasn't going to turn to my wife and say, hey, Emma, can you just take this one? I'm just going to go away. Uh, and by the way, um, when they hit you, just turn your other cheek also. So that, you know, just be biblical here. Well, I'm going to run away. That wasn't my plan. Okay. Luckily it never happened. But my plan, of course, was to stick up for my wife and to defend her as she ran away. Now, unfortunately, when it comes to this passage, some people think that actually that's the wrong thing to do which I disagree with. And so let me explain to you what Jesus is talking about here when he says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to the other cheek also. And to do that, I'm going to give you a bit of uh, context outside of the book of Luke. Because you see, in the book of John, repeatedly Jesus talks about, um, or the book of John talks about, how when people started to follow Jesus, they were being asked to leave the synagogue. They have been asked to leave the synagogue. And actually in John chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples that they will push you out of the synagogue. Now, back then, if you were a Jew who got pushed out of the synagogue, this was a huge deal, right? Like, this is everything to you. This is your identity. This is your community. And so to be kicked out was to be ostracized from everything you knew. But what was really bad about it as well is if you got kicked out of the synagogue, one of the religious leaders would slap you on the face to shame you. Not to hurt you. Obviously, it might hurt a little bit, but it's mainly to shame you for what you were doing. And what does Jesus say when this occurs for his disciples? He says, turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate. Don't hit them back. Turn the other cheek. And then what about the coats here? When he says, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Well, surely you're aware, hopefully, if you've been in church for a little bit, you've read the book of Acts, that Christians were getting persecuted because they followed Jesus. That Christians were being beaten up. That Christians were being killed, literally, for following Jesus. And what was occurring back then is some Jews and maybe even other people would come and they'd steal Christians' coats from them. Because back then, you didn't have multiple coats. You probably had one. And that coat was not just your coat, but it was also your blanket at night. So it's a way to persecute the Christians. They would steal their coats from them. And Jesus says, don't retaliate. Give them your shirt as well. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's he's preparing his followers for the persecution that is to come. For people who are persecuting them for following Jesus. You know, we see this so clearly in the book of Acts, and most likely you see it even so clearly in in Stephen. You know, Stephen had the face of an angel. Stephen who also just preached this amazing sermon, which should have ripped people to shreds. They should have responded in repentance and faith, but instead they responded by stoning him. And when they were stoning Stephen, how did he respond? Did he pick up stones and throw them in return? No, he pleaded to God for their forgiveness, just like his Savior did at the cross. And who witnessed such incredible love? Well, the Apostle Paul, the gospel beast, Apostle Paul, who ends up writing most of the New Testament and planting churches throughout Europe and Asia. But what also does it say here? Well, it says not only if they slap you or if they take your clothes, he says, verse 30, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. You see, what was going on back then in particular is people knew that Christians were generous. And so they would come to Christians asking for money, not expecting to repay them back at all, to use Christians and to take from them. 
And Jesus says, give, give. And what about how he talks about if anyone takes what, doesn't, what belongs to you? What was also occurring back then is that Christians were being put into prison. And then if you're another Christian that would go visit those who were in prison, people would watch you and then go to your house, ransack your house and steal what belongs to you. And Jesus says, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. And he says, do unto others as you would want done to you. You see, specifically what Jesus is saying here is he wants us to love those who are outside of Christ, those who don't know Jesus abundantly, so that those who are doing these things may turn and go, this is insane. Why do they love us so abundantly? What's the secret here? Now, saying all this, I need to have a little bit of, a, I guess, a tangent and do two sidebars. And so the first I want to say is this, is Jesus primarily here is talking to his believers about how do you treat non-believers who are treating you this way. Okay, he is saying if there's a non-believer who's treating you this, I mean, sorry, if there's a believer who treats you this badly, show them love, yes. He's not saying you can retaliate to them. He's saying show them love. But understand this, that if you're a Christian that acts this way, if you're stealing from someone, if you're taking their coats, if you're slapping someone, that Christians are not called to do that. And so if someone is doing that, Jesus would say, no, they're to cut that out. They're meant to be followers of me. There should be church discipline here. Go talk to your elders or leaders to sort this out. So understand here that Jesus is calling us to love people who don't know him in this way. But also, Jesus here is not justifying domestic abuse. I want to make that really clear. He's not. He's talking about specific persecution at a specific time. There's many more verses outside the Bible to make it abundantly clear that if you are experiencing domestic abuse or you know someone who is, then get out of that situation. Talk to one of us as the pastors or police or someone you know, but get out of that situation. God does not call you to be abused by a loved one in that way. That's unacceptable. Saying that, and I hope that's abundantly clear so you know what I've just said, Jesus' command here is actually quite difficult. And so I don't want to give you a way out necessarily. Because you might think, well, for example, in the workplace, mean Megan, or I don't know if it was mean Megan, maybe it was crazy Carl, I'm a bit confused. Say crazy Carl, you know, he was, he was saying bad things about me. I could go to my boss and say that's abuse and get him fired. You could do that. But I think maybe Christ wants you actually to respond in love first and grace and mercy to him. Or maybe if your neighbor is egging your house because you're going to church, you could go home from church and buy him a new case of eggs and say, hey, I think you've, left, you've lost some. Here you go. Respond in love. Respond in love. Let's not necessarily take a way out. Because look, I know this is difficult. I've experienced, not much, but I've experienced persecution for my faith. I've had people yell at me and try and call me an idiot in different types of names. And I could just walk away. And yet Christ calls me to stand there and to respond in love. But the thing about this command, though, is it's a bit scary. Let's be honest. It's scary and it's confronting and it takes vulnerability and it takes generosity from our behalf. And that's not easy. And so we need to make sure that our motives are quite strong and that we have good motivation to want to keep doing this. And so that's why Jesus explains why we should do this, why we should love our enemies. And so let's have a look at verses 32 to 34, where Jesus says this, He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is to that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners led to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. 
He says two um, things that Jesus does here to try and motivate us. Firstly, he compares us with other people, um, which, you know, he knows the human heart so well and how that motivates us when we compare ourselves with other people. And he goes, hey, look, my followers, my saints are meant to be different to sinners. They're meant to stand out. So that should be a reason that motivates you to love people this way. But then on top of that, Jesus also says to us, it's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. Like I wonder if you picked up here three times Jesus says, what credit is it to you? What credit is it to you? What credit is it to you? In other words, what benefit is it to you if you just love like everyone else? And so what is the benefit to loving like Christ calls us to? Well, let's have a look at verses 35 to 38 to see what is the benefit. Jesus says this, but love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you'll be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Heavenly Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give as it is given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I've got two benefits that I think there are of us loving our enemies. And the first one will come on the screen right now. The first benefit to loving your enemies is that you get to demonstrate the love of God. You get to demonstrate the love of God. You see, when, it says here, when Jesus says here that your reward will be that you'll be the children of the Most High, that the Greek here you can interpret it, which maybe is a little bit more helpful, it says that you will be viewed as, you'll be seen as, you'll be known as sons of the Most High God. Because you see, what Jesus is not saying here is that if you forgive, then you'll be forgiven. If you don't judge, then you won't be judged. If you don't condemn, then you won't be condemned. He's not talking about religion here, that you do and then you receive. No, 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 that's not religion. Jesus is about grace. What he's saying here is that if you do forgive, and if you don't judge, and if you don't condemn, then you are showing everyone how you are children of the Most High God, and how you understand forgiveness, and how much God loves you. And church, this will be a reward for us. It will be a reward because it will give you assurance, because you're coming more like Christ Jesus, and you're doing the things that most other people don't want to do. And that should be assurance for you, that you know the love of God. But also, it will be a reward to you, because it will help with your evangelism and your witness, because you'll be demonstrating an amazing love that is formed in adversity, that the world will be blown away by. Where your neighbors and your work colleagues would be like, like, I don't know if there is a God, but if there is, that fool obviously knows him because of how he's loving me right now. One of my favorite movies, probably of all time, but uh, even most recently, is a movie called Hacksaw Ridge. Um, uh, heads up, it's quite a violent World War II movie, so it's not necessarily one that you watch with uh, your kids. Um, but it's a great movie uh, that is about a man called Desmond Dodds. Desmond Dodds was a faithful Christian man who was a conscientious objector in the World War II, in World War II, sorry. And he's also the first conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor. And this movie basically uh, talks through Desmond's story, and it's really helpful um, illustration of what it looks like to love your enemies. You see, uh, as Desmond was being uh, trained and he went into the army to go and uh, serve and, and love his fellow soldiers and to be a medic, uh, the other soldiers found out that he didn't want to hold a weapon, and so they thought he was a coward. And so they started beating him up, even when he's in training, insulting him, shaming him, trying to ridicule him so there'd be too much for him, and he would tap out and he'd quit. His own captain, Captain John Glover, tried to get him transferred because he thought he wasn't brave enough to hold a weapon. Desmond got through that, 
and went to war with this division. This same division that mocked him, shamed him, and wanted nothing to do with him. And at the famous battle of Okinawa, my apologies if I said that wrong, which is one of the most bloodiest, bloodiest battles in history of the war, the Americans basically were on the beach and they had to go up this wooden ladder to go up with clip face to go onto the battlefield where the Japanese were awaiting with the machine guns and artillery and different things. And they tried. They went up there after wave after wave after wave. But as they did that, they kept on getting demolished by the Japanese. And they had to retreat back down this huge cliff face, down this wooden ladder, back down to the beach where their ships were. And one time, they all went up, and Desmond went with them, and they went up to the, this, um, this battlefield, and they got absolutely slaughtered. So much that everyone went back, but Desmond remained. He stayed up there on the cliff face because he could heard the screams of his fellow soldiers who needed help. And then for hours, after hours, by himself, he crawled on the ground to find his fellow um, soldiers to heal them up. And then literally he dragged them as secretly as he could to that cliff face. And then by himself, he's a skinny dude like me, obviously a lot stronger. And he then, uh, I guess, did like some sort of pulley system to get them down this 10 meter cliff face down to the bottom where other people were waiting. He did this for hours. And as he did this, he actually saved 75 men. And as he did this, I love this part, he's a Christian man, he said, he was praying, Lord, please help me get one more. Lord, please help me get one more. And get this, he even did it for his own captain, Jack Glover, who was injured. And he got him down to safety to be healed. This was an incredible man. There's even stories of him actually even healing the Japanese, loving his enemies. And uh, what I really love, um, I don't know if this is true, I think it's similarly true in the story. Um, what was pretty incredible is actually before they went to go attack again the next morning after he did this amazing act of bravery, is that these men who shamed him now praised him and just blown away by his faith to the point where the American army and navy would not attack uh, the battlefront again until Desmond had had his morning devotions and prayed to the Lord. He demonstrated the love of God so clearly. Loving his enemies, just like Christ had loved his enemies. And church, we can do the same thing. We can do the same thing in our environments. We can demonstrate the love of God, and that will be a reward to us. But secondly, another reward for us is that by loving our enemies, we deepen our own love for God. We deepen our own love for God. You see, I don't know if you know this about your own heart. I'm guessing you do, but every single human longs to be loved. We long to be loved by those around us, by people. No one grows up going, I want to be hated. We all want to be loved. But the thing that stops us from receiving the love that we so desperately desire and want, to be honest, is our own selves and our own sin. Because we treat people badly. We curse people. We judge people. We act unjustly to others so they can't love us like our hearts desire. We create enemies with people. And the reality is, is even though we may think that outside of Jesus, we are friends with God, the Bible is quite clear that because of our sin and rebellion, by nature, we are enemies with him. Enemies who have lived our own way rather than following our king. But thankfully, our king is a king who forgives and saves his enemies. As Romans 5 says, whilst we were enemies, God reconciled us to him through the death of his son so that we can be adopted children. So we can go from enemies with God to being adopted children of God, but nevertheless adopted enemies. That's the great news of the gospel, that our God loves us and loves his enemies. 
And what I, what I love about this, this uh, I guess, doctrine of adoption as well is when we think of adoption, we may think of that, I don't know, maybe like cute little tiny kid with fuzzy hair, you know, and, and think, oh, that would be so cute to have that in my family. I want to adopt that little girl. When reality is when we think of adoption in a scriptural way, it's actually like that rebellious teen has been kicked out of foster home after foster home after foster home, and God says, I want that one. I will love my enemies. I love those who do not deserve it. And this should deepen our love for Jesus as we love people who don't deserve it as well. But of course, as we love our enemies, we get to be like Christ and we get to be like our Savior. You know, Desmond was incredible. Don't get me wrong. Incredible man, what he did. He saved 75 people. But don't forget about Jesus, right? Don't forget about Jesus who says, just don't do what I say, but don't do what I do. No, he says, do what I do. Remember how Jesus was being arrested and how the troops came and Peter pulled out his sword and cut off one of the soldier's ears. What does Jesus do? He grabs that ear, he puts it back onto the soldier and he heals his enemy's ears. As he goes into the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders are hitting him and slapping him on the face, spitting on him, cursing him. Does he respond? Does he retaliate? Does he call down a legion of angels to wipe them out? No, he gives his life up for his enemies. He goes to the cross where literally... He dies for the soldiers who are nailing him there. And then he pleads and says, Father, they do not know what they are doing. Our Savior Jesus dies for his enemies, for us. May that example be what drives us to do the same. And so church, I want to be clear. As you leave here this morning, I want you to be thinking, I want you to be reflecting upon who you are in bad terms with, who your enemies, how you're going to love them. But I don't want you to leave out here just being a moralistic person who does good. Firstly, I want you to leave here being someone who loves Jesus abundantly and is blown away by what he's done for you. And then in response, you go and be like him. You won't be able to do it perfectly, only he can. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can give it a shot. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, once again, I don't want you to leave here moralistic, a good person who loves people who don't like you. I want you to know the Savior. I want you to stop being an enemy with God and start being one of his children and respond in faith and repentance this morning to our great God. Church, this is not easy, but we are called to love people not on our circumstances, but our convictions. We are called to love people because we have been loved abundantly. We are called to bless people because we have been blessed abundantly. We are called at times to be shamed because we know that we'll be honored in Christ for eternity. We are called to be generous and to give even when people use us because that is what God has done for us. We are called to be like Christ who loves us so well. May I pray that we do this and never forget our Savior. Father God, this is one hard command. And it's one, but naturally we don't want to do. And so, Father, as we think about how we can love like Christ has loved us, help us to keep our eyes fixed on him. And help us, Lord, to know and to trust that there is joy in obedience, that you're not a God who's trying to rob us of joy, but you're a God who knows what's best for us, what is benefit and credit to us. And so, Father, please help us to demonstrate the love of God to the world around us.